Hello and welcome to the Cinementalist podcast for Cinementalist.com. My name's Andy. Sitting next to me is our bearded dragon mascot, Floki. And sitting opposite me is Liam. How are you, my friend? Bum sex. Bum sex. That's a hell of a way to kick off a podcast. Well, I always just say I'm fine or some re- like iteration thereof. So I just thought I'd, you know. It's the way the audience can tell this is a different episode they're listening to. Because I swear I do that intro now. It's, it's, I can recite it in my sleep backwards, back to front. You know? Just like from now on, you know, it's just some, something like that. Just any like stream of consciousness, bum sex, recycling bin, vertebra, just blow out shit that it's, means nothing. It's interesting you put those three things together. I'm sure a psychologist would be able to tell us <laughs> what, that, what that means about your I inner psyche. I, I, I don't think they want to go probing. No, no, I'm sound, mate. I'm sound. Although, speaking of being able to do that intro backwards and forwards, you know, in my sleep and all that, if you go back to it, I think you'll notice that for a brief second, my brain forgot what the name of the podcast was. <laughs> and we've only done like 180 episodes of it so far between the free and the premium. Oh, man. Is, is that burnout or is that burnout? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I am getting to the stage now where you can legitimately call me a somewhat old hippie. So it's only going to get worse. I mean, it's, I mean, Enjoy. It's, it's quite amazing that I'm able to function at all at this point. <laughs> But yes, welcome to the Cinematalist Podcast. As usual, we're going to talk about films and TV and stuff, all your media-related shite. We kicked off the podcast with butt sex. Um, bum sex. Bum sex, rather. Bum yeah, sex sorry, did I, did I Americanize it? Yes. Okay, sorry. Um, but yes, let's do the usual intro, which is going into a bit of news, shall we? Anything exciting this week? Yeah, I think I've got some stuff you might be interested in. Um, first things first, article from Variety.com. Christopher Nolan talking to several studios about World War II film about J. Robert Oppenheimer. Okay. Christopher Nolan has had discussions with several major studios about his next film revolving around J. Robert Oppenheimer and his involvement developing the atom bomb during World War II. While Nolan's last few films were all at Warner Brothers, the director was not pleased when Warner Media made the decision to put its entire 2021 slate on HBO Max. Nolan's most recent film, Tenet, was not part of that move. It received an exclusive theatrical run. His new film will be a return to the history of the Second World War after Dunkirk, but set in America this time. Tenet was released in theater, blah, 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 Tenet, Tenet, Tenet. We covered a lot of Tenet. You liked Tenet. The rest of the internet didn't like Tenet, but you liked Tenet, and I thought it was quite good as well. But anyway, yes, Chris, essentially, this is all this article has to say, is that Christopher Nolan is talking about doing a film about J. Robert Oppenheimer, and there's a potential cast in uh, Killian Murphy as well. Well, as Oppenheimer. Well, no one's confirmed that he's believed to be attached to the project. No one's saying what character he's attached as. I mean, it would be really weird if he wasn't. If you look at photos of Oppenheimer, Killian Murphy's actually a fairly good match. What, did, what was his quote like? Um, uh, I am become death destroyer, destroyer of, of worlds. worlds. Yeah, because yeah. uh, he's quoted from the uh, Bhagavad Gita, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got really into um, like Hindu um, spiritualism, essentially, and went on to yeah create... Um, two of the most destructive devices the world has ever seen. But he's a really interesting character, actually. I know a fair bit about Oppenheimer, and he was a, he was a real eccentric. And he was essentially put in charge of running the Los Alamos Laboratory, where the Manhattan Project was um, brought to its final conclusion, the actual building of the bombs. And one of the amazing things about him was that he was unbelievably intelligent, but he would never... He was, he was picked to sort of oversee the whole facility and the whole building of the bombs because he was good at every single aspect of it. He literally, a lot of his peers said that he should have got several Nobel Prizes, except he'd never stick on one subject long enough. He'd bounce from subject to subject to subject to subject. And so he oversaw the creation of um, what the, the most destructive weapons ever used on this planet. But as far as he was concerned, I mean, he was very, very liberal. The American government had him tracked constantly while he was working at Los Alamos because he kept meeting up with uh, left-wing communist organizations. And so there's this real weird dichotomy in that he was sort of fell down the physics rabbit hole with creating the bombs. But ultimately, he was a bit of a pacifist and creating what he created. I don't think... It was almost like the, the morality of what he was doing didn't really occur to him. It was more about the, the science of making it work. Well, I mean, I've seen the clip of uh, him saying, oh, I'm become deaf and you can tell that you're looking at, you know, just a, a something of a shattered man. Yeah, absolutely. He just looks um, deeply... Uh, psychically wounded by what he's done, really, even if he doesn't explicitly state it. Yeah, it's... there's that wonderful footage of him um, talking about the, the scientists the moment the um, Trinity test explosion first went off, the first time they realized they got it right. Mm. And it is something like, um, some people cried, some people laughed, but all of us had this pervasive feeling that we'd sort of crossed the Rubicon, that we'd, you know, 
we were all so caught up in the making of the do, you know, the doing of the making of the thing that suddenly realizing the repercussions. Although he did say in later interviews that he um, wished that it had been used on Nazi Germany instead to end the war sooner. He said that was one of his regrets is that if we were going to create a device that destructive, using it to bring down the most tyrannical empire the world has ever seen would have been a better usage for it than um, essentially shutting down Japan's side of the war. But yeah, interesting stuff. I'd love to see that movie. I'd love to see it in uh, Chris Nolan's hands. Strikes me as something you'd be very good at. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, definitely going to be looking up more on that. And I also, um, I'm a Murphy fan as well. Yeah, great. His attachment is uh, definitely intrigued me. So Mm. yeah, yeah. Eyes peeled for that one. Yeah. And of course, there's the big debate about the... um, the head of Netflix's programming has been saying for a long time that he's desperate to get Nolan on board. Yeah. And I imagine he'll be badgering him quite strongly about, look, if you're going to do it, why not do it for Netflix? Well, I mentioned it. Do you know what? Uh, earlier this morning, you know, I watched, never seen it before. I stuck on Red Lights, Killian Murphy, Sigourney Weaver, Robert De Niro. Oh, right. I never watched that. Oh, it's a load of shit. Is it really? <laughs> Absolute pile of fun. Start, well, with that cast list. St- Starts off really solidly and yeah. kind of... Like ambles along at a like an intriguing enough pace. Oh god, the payoff was fucking doggerel. It was oh no, <laughs> no, yeah, really big letdown. Anyway, you know, but yeah, that's well, that's useful advice for the audience, right? From well, the it's off, just a shame because you, you, you got three great like people in there. But mm-hmm. yeah, no. <laughs> anyway, bit of Chris Pratt news. Chris Pratt and Sam Richardson reunite for upcoming action comedy. Uh, Chris Pratt and Sam Richardson are reunited for a new movie. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the Tomorrow War co-stars are teaming up on a new action comedy called Standard Asset. The upcoming flick is being produced by Jurassic World Dominion star Chris, and the script is penned by the 37-year-old comedian and Jen D'Angelo, who also worked on the 2021 military sci-fi action film with the pair. Details surrounding the plot are being kept a secret for the time being. Uh, the only reason I really brought this article up is I am sick and tired of Chris Pratt. <laughs> I really am. I, Chris Pratt has become a sort of totem for mediocre movie for me. I mean, Tomorrow War, I thought, wasn't mediocre. I thought it was absolute bullshit that actually ended up being really entertaining. But I, I, do we think Chris Pratt is going to play a slightly goofy guy who's also got action movie star credentials? I think there'll be a few gags, but then he has to do something really serious and he looks very shocked. Is the, I mean, is the Tomorrow War particularly gag-ridden? No, but he's definitely um, playing up some of that goofiness at points. So Chris Pratt, it's not like I have anything against the guy. I don't actively dislike him or anything. I just, I don't think he's got any range whatsoever. He always plays the same character. I mean, he used to just be the goofy guy until he got in shape for Jurassic World. And now he's the goofy action guy instead. So what's it going to be next? The goofy action comedy? I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not sold on the guy. I'm really not. He seems like a nice enough dude. I don't think he's a bad actor. I think he's a middling actor. I think he's a five out of 10 actor. But the uh, the internet and the rest of the world seems to disagree with me. Everybody loves a bit of Chris Pratt. So there you go. I there's don't a... really care about him, to be honest. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's just, well, yeah, whatever he touches seems to turn to gold. And I don't quite get it. But anyway, yes, you'll be seeing more movies from Chris Pratt soon. No, I won't. Well, yeah. <laughs> Is anybody surprised? No, it'll be me reviewing him. I know that. You'll refuse to watch them, and I don't blame you. So it'll be me going, what am I going to watch this week? That's the big film at the moment. Fine. And I'll do my whole bit about how yeah, Chris you, Pratt's yeah, playing the same character. He always but you might plays. lock out, and it might coincide with other big films being released. And you go, well, that one actually seems a bit more important. Hopefully. <laughs> you know, we, we live in hope. We really live in hope. <laughs> uh, another bit of news here. This one's much more interesting. Winona Ryder is to star in the indie movie The Cow. The 49-year-old actress is joining Dermot Mulroney, John Gallagher Jr., Owen Teague, and Brian Chu in the mystery thriller. The movie marks the feature directorial debut for Ellie Horowitz, the co-creator of the Amazon series Homecoming. Ellie has penned the script with Matthew Darby, with production having recently wrapped on the film. It marks the latest collaboration between Boulder Light Pictures and MM2 after they produced the horror film The Vigil and drama Wild Indian together. So yeah, I mean, I, I brought this up, similar to the whole Chris Pratt thing. As much as I dislike Chris Pratt, I love Winona Ryder. Oh, she's great. I think she's yeah. having a bit of a reconnaissance at the moment ever since Stranger Things, and I couldn't be happier about it. Oh, yeah, I, I like Winona. I've, I've always thought she was good. I just yeah. finished a rewatch of Stranger Things, uh, just you know, binge-watched through the whole thing, all three seasons. And I think I actually liked it more the second time around than I did the first time, and I loved it the first time around. Yeah, she's like, so like, good in that yeah, show. Yeah, I like her in uh, The Crucible and, like, you know, uh, it, 
Beetlejuice as well. Like, you know, like she's always, she's always had a thing about her. Mm, There's yeah. always been something magnetizing about Winona Ryder. And you say this is, what is, is it? The Cow. The Cow, yeah. And yes. it's a mystery thriller. Apparently so, yeah. There's not a lot revealed about the plot at the moment. I think it's his main selling point at this point is they don't want to say too much about it. It's an indie movie. You have two production houses coming together and Winona Ryder is their big hook. But I think she's a hell of a hook to have. And like I said, I think her star is on the rise. It was a weird thing that happened to her actually, wasn't it? Because she got... Um, did she get caught stealing? You know, like shoplifting, I think. Yeah, which, which is a very, very minor crime. And I remember seeing interviews with her where she was saying like she was having some mental health problems at the time. But it seemed to sort of stop her career stone dead. I mean, she has done work since, but she's never um, been back in the forefront until Stranger Things. I remember when Str- Stranger Things came out, everybody all of a sudden went, oh my God, Winona Ride is amazing. It's like, yeah, she has been for ages. I mean, she, thing, she, she did some shoplifting, man. Like, well, I mean, I can think, what, what is, uh, I mean, the immediate British counterpart that speeds to mind is, uh, what is it, Anthony Worrell Thompson. Yeah. He's got a, got a, done for nicking some cheese out of Tesco and, and everyone, you know, the UK collectively just turned around and, and said like, well, that was a bit silly. Why, you know, you're like a bit of a well-off chef. Why the fuck do you need to steal cheese from Tesco? Yeah, for, for those and then who everyone don't know, forgot about it. For international <laughs> listeners, he was a uh, TV chef, essentially. Well, he had a lot of restaurants in his own right, but he was a, a very familiar face on British screens doing cookery programs. And then, yes, he was caught stealing cheese in a supermarket because apparently, not because, he, you know, times were hard and his money had run out or anything, but he just liked stealing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they didn't call him on to talk shows and, uh, you know, because nobody would give a shit. No. It's so like no, Andy Wall Thompson, you're minted and you're stealing roll, like wheels of cheese from Tesco. You're a bit of a tit, you know. And then that was that. Yeah. So I mean, it was. All, I'm not saying yeah, shoplifting. Just yeah, have at it. No, not endorsing it, but it's a pretty, especially with you know. I think it's a very minor crime. And yeah. I don't think that it's. I don't think it really warrants uh, a severe and seemingly like irrevocable career tanking and going on like fucking stuff like Oprah, et cetera, et cetera. It's not but, really that big of a deal. If you think about it though, like the Winona Ryder shoplifting thing and the Anthony Worrell Thompson shoplifting thing, these days, I mean, they were both quite a long time ago now. These days, that would be barely a story, would it? I guess it was sort of shocking at the time because celebrity news was lesser then. And now we know so much more about celebrities because of social media, et cetera, that we know there are huge examples everywhere of celebrities' bad behavior that's a hell of a lot worse. But back then, that was a a shocking thing, wasn't it? I mean, we're sitting here in little old Ingerland. We heard about Winona Ryder nicking a dress or whatever it was. It's kind of pathetic when you think about it, isn't well, it? Well, it's, it's not some, you know, it's not some horrific incident. It doesn't warrant her being sat down and interviewed about her demon. She fucking, mm. she offenced a couple of things. She shouldn't have done it. She paid for her error. Yeah, she apologised. You know, it's just, I mean, oh God, just make a mountain out of a molehill. Surely, you know, (laughs) we're all so concerned about mental health and everything these days, then kleptomaniacs in in any form whatsoever, even a a small period of kleptomania should be forgiven by the uh, modern liberal society as a whole. Well, it is, it's a compulsive behaviour. Yeah, yeah. They said, as you said with Anthony Warwick Thompson, he just liked stealing cheese. He just liked doing it, yeah. It wasn't because he couldn't afford the cheese, he just liked the thrill of stealing the cheese. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's the react that's the reaction. It's funny. I mean, I'm not saying it's yeah. you know, Winona Ryder was obviously unwell. I'm not laughing at that, but it's just it's not a it's not this somber, really terrible event. No, you know, it's no. oh, never mind. <laughs> anyway, yes, I'm looking forward to anything Winona Ryder appears in from this point forward. I'm slightly in love with her, if I'm honest. But yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's cool. Always like Winona. Uh, last bit of news this week, and this is a big one. Dune has finally premiered in Venice. Uh, Denis Villeneuve has urged audiences to watch the movie in theatres, and Timothy Chalamet has already been talking about a sequel. Now, that sort of seems a little odd in that some of the news articles that we've read out on the podcast in the past year have heavily hinted that the Dune film is, in fact, half of the story. So rather than Timothy Chalamet is hoping for a sequel, kind of sounds like Dune needs a sequel in order to finish its plot. I swear, lines. when I've seen Dune doing a couple of rounds on, like you know, t- the Twitterverse and other things, I've, I've seen people referring to it as Dune Part One. Mm. So I mean, that, it's that, not being billed that way, but apparently it is half the book. Yeah, the writer came forward, didn't he, and said, "I've, I've adapted half the book." And I think he said something as well, like, "I'm getting old now, and if they want to adapt the second half, they need to find somebody else." <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Denny Villeneuve is desperate for people to go to the cinema. Um, he said. It has been dreamed, designed, shot, thinking IMAX. 
When you watch this movie on the big screen, it is a physical experience. We try to design it to be as immersive as possible. In December, Warner Brothers, the studio that is releasing June, which legendary producer and finance, announced that its entire movie slate for 2021 will premiere both in theaters and HBO Max on the same day. However, I think they're going for the big push on this one. And I have to say, we always try and avoid um, other people's reviews and things before we've got a chance to see it because you don't want someone else's reviews to color your opinions if you try to go in as blind as possible. However, it's been impossible to ignore that although I haven't read any of the reviews so far for it, I have seen the titles of these reviews passing across my newsfeed. And the reception so far seems to be extremely positive. Yeah. Mm. I've seen, I, I, I would say out of the 10 reviews I've seen go past my feed that I haven't looked at directly, I'd say eight of them say something along the lines of it's staggering, exhilarating, all those kind of you know, big buzzword, hype words. So we might be in for a treat here. I hope so. Because I have been waiting for a Dune adaptation that is actually good. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I, no disrespect to David Lynch because I'm a fan, but... 984 version is ludicrous. The miniseries is just no. And yeah, so um, I've been, I have been anticipating this one with some f- real fervent hope in my gut. Well, here you go, actually, speaking of earlier versions of Dune, uh, Timothy Chalamet uh, stars the sci fi tentpole as Paul Atreides, the character based on Frank Herbert's 1965 novel. He said that he watched Carl McLaughlin's performance in the 1984 original Dune two months before shooting, but tried to make the character his own. I have huge respect for Carl's performance. I love that version. I was fortunate enough to work on other projects that have prior iterations with great actors in them. But when Denis Villeneuve asks you to do a movie and do his version of the movie, you forget all of that. So that sounds promising as well. Is <laughs> 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 it, that? And I love how tactful he's being there as well. I mean, you know, he doesn't actually give away anything that he really thinks about other than he likes the performance. But yeah, no, our version is not going to be that, guys. We promise. Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> Jesus God, I hope not. Just like the, the, the lack of um, absolute cartoonishness would be a saving grace yes, for Yes, yeah, it does seem to be taking itself a lot more seriously, which I think the source material deserves. Yes, so, it 100% does. Really yeah. looking forward to it. I think that'll be film of the year, I, even if it's awful. I mean, one way or the other, I think that's... Would you say that's probably the biggest release of the year? I know a lot of people would say Tenet and all of that, but I've got a no, feeling, I don't, no, I've got a feeling no, this is going to be bigger. People have been, re- you know, June has been really building for a couple of years now. It's been like swelling immensely, mm. the anticipation. So, and uh, yeah, I think everyone's looking forward to some glorious cinematic splurge all over everyone's face. Lovely. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's something that's for the poster that's, for that's them as well. what I've got my fingers crossed for. So. <laughs> Oh, actually, I missed an article here. This is only going to be very quick. Uh, We mentioned it a few weeks ago. But the new Predator movie has wrapped filming and revealed its cast. Uh, Cinematographer Jeff Cutter used his Instagram account to announce the new Predator film, apparently titled Skull, has wrapped filming, or is it Skulls now? With so little information about the upcoming movie available, Cutter's announcement might have accidentally revealed a name change for the project at the same time it confirms two new cast members involved with the production. In his Instagram announcement, Cutter thanks director Dan Trachtenberg for inviting me along on this epic journey and entrusting me to help achieve his vision for his film. Cutter's original message also refers to the film as Skulls, adding an S at the name at the end of the name and outside producers John Davis and John Fox last July. Finally, Cutter's message thanks the great cast led by Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers and Dane Delegro. Uh, apparently, Delegro, I didn't recognize the name at first. I was looking at his credits earlier. Um, there's a fairly safe bet that he's playing the Predator because he's also played monsters in American Horror Stories and On Sweet Home. Is he a big lump, is he then? Yes, yeah, yeah, there is. Basically, everyone said, well, we know who he'll be. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, as we said, when we first started talking about this film, I'm a huge Predator fan. I know you're a big fan of the original film as well. Mm. And there have been great injustices made in the Predator's name ever since the original release. Uh, Was kind of fond of Predators. I thought that was okay. Um, but yes, this also seems to be going back to potentially prehistoric times. Yeah, certain Andersons and certain Glovers have done a disservice. Oh man, the Alien vs. Predator films. We got followed the other day by, because um, I mentioned on Twitter that I was a big fan of Aliens, and we got followed the other day by the Alien vs. Predator like fan club thing. Yeah. It's very, very cool and all that, but all I can imagine is them having meetings where they go, why hasn't there been a good Alien versus Predator? <laughs> Why have all the modern Alien releases just been, yeah, not up to much? Well, hopefully they kickstart a good one. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Predator, the first Alien, and Aliens are three of the greatest sci-fi horror movies ever made, and three of my favorite movies ever made as well. Yeah. So whenever you get one of these announcement uh, announcements, rather a little bit of my uh, a little bit of my heart jumps, you know. But I'm um, seeing what we've seen. Yeah, everything's being kept to the wraps at the, at the moment, but. Seeing what we've seen leaked so far about this, it does at least seem to be doing something interesting with the source material. So I'm, uh, I'm starting to get a little bit hyped, you know. But, hey. Yeah, you know, as you said, the great bulk of it has been shitty. Yes, <laughs> but that is the know, word. You, you, as you said, the the 2010 Predators um, wasn't actually a terrible film. Love Lawrence Fishburne in it. Yeah, great yeah, Larry Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne Adrian Brody as well. He was in yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It didn't really fuck with the mythos. Too it was much, just it was, was nice. that that was just one big love letter to the very first one. Yeah, and you could tell I it was, was fine with that. You could tell everyone behind it just like, loved the shit out of the 1987 film, mm. and that um, that made me very warm. Yeah, so that made me feel very warm. It, to it, it makes a six out of ten film more like a seven or an eight, doesn't it? Because yeah, because you can feel the love for the source material coming. Absolutely. Through. Whereas yeah. all of the other entries have been nah, nah, nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, yes, that is the actual end of the news this week. We need to get on with the rest of the show, and as usual, we kick off with Liam delivering two film reviews. What do you have for us? Okay, so first up, uh, this one has been getting a lot of internet traction. And uh, when I first saw the trailer about a month or two ago, it, it did pick up, it pricked up my ears a little bit. This is Malignant, latest one by James Wan, who's James Wan, the yes. founder of the Saw franchise. And uh, yeah, obviously now the, the uh, most recent film that James Wan directed prior to Malignant was obviously Aquaman, which grossed over a billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, huge film. Really stupid film as well, but very fun. I enjoyed it. Well, you, you think, okay, well, that, that's your summary of Aquaman. Well, look, let me um, get it into Malignant a little bit for you. <laughs> okay. So this, um, I can see where this is going. So this stars uh, Annabelle Wallace as Madison Lake. Now, Madison is a woman in her late 20s, and uh, she is with child, working very long hours, and uh, she's starting to, you know, her pregnancy's obviously making her feel like what a lot of discomfort, feeling very under the weather. And uh, she comes home to uh, her husband, Derek, who's quite a bit of an abusive layabout. And um, he just, he's just like, there's, there's a line early on where she's like, I need to, I need to rest, I need to rest. And Derek just looks at her and says, well, no, maybe you need to stop getting pregnant. Harsh, <laughs> I thought, man. <laughs> I, thought, that was, I thought that's a very strange thing to say. But then it's, People say we're brutal. But then, but then uh, we, the, the reason for this is because... Uh, Madison has tried several times in the past to conceive and carry a pregnancy to term, and each time she has miscarried, which makes Derek a special flavor of dickhead. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, even yeah, harsher. he is. He's just a very, he's a deeply unlikable prick. I thought you were going to say she'd had a lot of kids, so she's yeah, had a no, lot no, of miscarriages. No, unfortunately, why... she's had a lot of miscarriages. Wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, it, this ends with uh, Derek um, slamming her into a wall during an argument and uh, injuring her, and then offering some very half-hearted, insincere apologies. So, Der yeah, Derek is uh, an absolute helmet. And uh, late that night, um, Madison is sleeping in bed. Derek is on the couch, and he is awoken by a noise, and he goes and sniffs around the house. See, the refrigerator door opens by itself. Like, the TV turns on. He's just like the, the doors are open. He's like, what the fuck is this? And Derek's sort of snooping around, wondering what the hell is going on, until a very bizarre, shadowy form appears next to him in the darkness and then brutally murders him. And Madison is seeing all of this while she's asleep. She's seeing it play out exactly as it does while slumbering. And she wakes up all of a sudden thinking she's just had this appalling nightmare. She goes downstairs, but no, she finds Derek mangled atrociously on the floor after being mullered by this strange, dark, somewhat staticky form. And then... Like with a bit, I should also mention that the opening of this film takes place in a psychiatric unit, psychiatric unit where this team of researchers seem to be conducting a, a, some sort of bizarre observation with a patient who is addressed only as Gabriel. And we don't see Gabriel in the opening, but um, it's made clear that Gabriel is um, a person who is very, very temperamental and very dangerous as well, extraordinarily dangerous. The opening is spectacularly violent. And um, Madison continues 
to bear witness, involuntary witness, to uh, subsequent murders. And uh, the people in question who are being murdered by this dark form are people who are associated with the events of the cold open. Some research unit, they were conducting investigations into something very, very strange nearly three decades prior. And um, the research team and people who are outliers to them in some fashion, being hunted down and mercilessly slaughtered by some one or something. And every single time it happens, Maddie actually materializes in her mind's eye in the location and, and is forced to watch the brutal slaying take place. And with further investigation, it is suggested that the culprit is Gabriel, who happens to be Madison's imaginary friend from her childhood. Okay. Yes, and um, basically, some some people think she's crazy, but there are some people who are a bit, maybe a bit skeptical of the way that authorities are treating her and receiving her stories. And weirder and weirder events keep happening. And uh, there's a friendly uh, copper in there who starts to err on the side of Maddie's version of things. And uh, everywhere, everyone just essentially tries to knuckle together and find out just what the fuck is going on in the midst of Madison enduring all of these horrible visions of people being brutally murdered. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's about as much as I can go into in terms of expedition. Okay, well, we said uh, that Aquaman grossed a billion dollars internationally. Mm -hmm. It seems that that money has just been turned into, I'm James Wan and I'm now doing whatever the fucking hell I want money. Because <laughs> Malignant is absolutely batshit bonkers insane. The trailer, I watched the trailer, and the trailer made this film look very much like something in the realm of your conjurings, your the nuns, you know, like your, your kind of insidiouses, your staple sort of 21st century, specifically late 2010s, 2020s, demonic horrors where there's a lot of um, bang, jumpy scares and, and, you know, there's some sort of demonic occult reference mm. going on, et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 no. Um, this film is even more fucking crazy. It's crazy as a shit house rat uh, because the reveal behind everything that's going on is one is just... I'm trying to speak about it now without laughing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Malignant is, uh, it is just absolutely hilarious and this is something that is sharply divided opinion universally it seems because many critics and many audiences they seem to be split down the middle in what the fuck to make of this film i do think the malignant is one um just taking the absolute piss because a lot of them a lot of the acting is very b-movie level and to me, that comes across as intentional. A lot of the special effects are right out of an 80s splatterfest. And yeah, as I said, the reveal, the explanation for everything that is going on is absolutely ridiculous. But the way that it is handled, I could not stop laughing um, until way after the credits were over. I'm not exaggerating there. I mean, it is just so... It's, it, you know, the, the, I mean, you got to give this guy imagination points because this is what, what, when they went forth, when they did the big ha ha twist, it was like, are you, what the fuck is this? Are you actually serious right now? I thought there was some like red herring double bluffing going on. You, you're actually going to go down this route of utter absurdity that no one in their right mind could even, all the serious horror hounds. Like have long left the building by the time this reveal comes around, and I and I do think there people seem to be skeptical of it. I think he did all this ex absolutely one hundred percent on purpose. He took the Aquaman money, and he just goes fuck it. You know that really, really, really ridiculous, dumb, stoned fucking idea I had back when I was in college. I'm going to finance that. I'm going to do that, and I don't. That's kind of great, though. and I don't I give it. Yeah, and I don't give a shit what people think of it. Is it? Is it a good movie? It depends what your definition of good really is. <laughs> so is it, are we saying this is a so bad it's good, but like an intentional so bad it's good? Um, yes. Yeah. I, I, cool. I I'm kind of down for that. Yeah. Because yeah. Like, it's annoying that I, because this is, this hinges on um, incremental reveals. This just, just for the, um, 
just for the 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 experience of people, as always, I don't want to ruin anything for anyone. But no, this is not some sort of um, uniquely intelligent, you know, grand Dewey Knoll, um, incredibly, you know, oh wow, like you know, what a groundbreaking you, what a groundbreakingly unique uh, direction for horror to go in. No, this is just a groundbreakingly um, <clears throat> deranged, stupid. Um, as I said, crazy as a shit house rat um, direction to take a ostensibly supernatural tale in, but it's really it's funny. Um, I was there wasn't a moment of boredom in this. Um, I thought that the B movie acting was absolutely hilarious, and I do think it's intentional. I think that people are giving James Wan too hard of a time on *Malignant* because I do think that he set out to make a film that was absolutely fucking ludicrous, and I think he succeeded. And I would advise people to go and watch *Malignant*. It is really, really fun, and um, just it's fucking nonsense in the best po- <laughs> in the best possible way. I am definitely going to check. Yeah, this oh out. mate, you have to check it out. It's is is absurd. And loved it. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And then next up, um, we've spoken about this a couple of times. I also tuned into Prisoners of the Ghostland. Speaking of films that are supposed to be batshit insane. Yeah, the latest Nicolas Cage one from a Japanese director, uh, Sion Sono. So yeah, this stars Nick Cage as Hero. This is what his character is built as, just Hero. Now, Hero, um, he, uh, in the opening of the film, he is a bank robber. And he and his partner in crime, uh, they rob a bank. And um, the crime seems to go a little bit awry. And then the next time we see Hero, he is shackled in a little shed somewhere. um, And it's revealed to be a place called Samurai Town, which is essentially (laughs) a sort of a small town, sort of neo-Western settlement where everyone essentially dresses in tra- very traditional Japanese, you know, historically traditional Japanese garb, including samurai armor and headwear. And the ladies wear, what is it, is it kimonos? Mm-hmm. With yep. traditional makeup and, and everything. And um, they're all just doing that all of the time. <laughs> and a hero sits uh, with his hands cuffed behind his back with a... Um, God, I'm going to sound really culturally ignorant now. What is the name for the um, the undergarments worn by uh, sumo wrestlers? Oh, I don't know. I know what you mean. I, they have a specific name, yeah. But yeah, the, sure. the, 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 white, the white thing, that at least in structure, is somewhat comparable to, you know, thongs that ladies wear. Yes. Because it does disappear in between the cheeks. It does, yes. And uh, yeah, he's just wearing one of those. And uh, suddenly he is fetched out from his prison shed thing one day. And he is brought before the governor. Now, the governor is a sort of, I suppose you could say he's a sort of weird gangster slash warlord type fella, played by Bill Mosley. Now, I really like Bill Mosley because he was obviously Otis in House of a Thousand Corpses and the Devil's Rejects. Loved him in that. thought he was really, really great. And uh, he, he brings something of that uh, kind of latently maniacal and threatening presence, like sort of comically yet still disturbingly threatening presence here. The governor just dressed, he's pure, like, absolute, um, you know, pure, clean, white suit, white Stetson hat. Where, you know, this is a guy who pulls up in a limousine and is let out of the limousine by some dude dressed in samurai gear, as you do. As you do. And, uh, yeah, he gets out uh, of the limo and he has Hero brought before him and he says, I have an adopted granddaughter named Bernice. Now, Bernice is played by uh, Sophia Batella. Bernice has gone missing somewhere out there in the vast terrain of the ghost lands. And uh, basically, I want you to go and find her and bring her back. And to ensure your compliance, I'm having you fitted uh, with a suit. And this suit has explosive devices attached to, respectively, your neck, your forearms, and your testicles. Oh, wow. Should you attempt to remove the neck brace, it detonates. Um, should you attempt to manhandle Bernice in any way, put your hands on her in a in a way to physically harm her in any way, shape or form, then uh, the devices on your arms explode. If you start to feel amorous around her at all, it's bye-bye testicles. Well, so basically, and I'm also fitting you with a device on your arm that will give you a total of five days to bring her back. On the third day, I want to hear her speak her name into this device, and then I'll give you two more days 
to bring her back. If you if you fail in doing all of that, you go bang. And you don't get a choice, so you better fucking get to it. And so Hero sets off out from the ghost land to go and find Bernice and bring her back. Uh, all the while running into some really, really weird, freaky motherfuckers, a few of whom are supernatural. And yeah, that's the basic setup. I love it when his uh, plot is just nice and you could write it on the back of a postcard. Well, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I lo- and that's the thing. I, I love it when a plot is, you know, can be written on the back of a postcard. And, you know, it's a sort of uh, very attractively batshit crazy plot. It's got Nick Cage written all over it, so who better to select for the role than Nick Cage? Oh, God. No, no, you're not going to tell me this is bad. Yeah, I am. Oh, I was so this, looking forward to this one. No, mate, so was I. This film was possibly the biggest letdown of the year. I'm, I'm sorry, but it absolutely is. I said, this, and you're such a fan of Nick Cage lunacy I know, as well. I know, this is the thing. It's even got a and, quote from him on the poster yeah. that says, the wildest movie I've ever made. Well, if, if you're talking wild in terms of complete and utter comprehensive incoherence and bullshit that just happens for absolutely no reason and or, and doesn't add to the plot and or stifles the pacing and slows it down, then yeah, you could say, so you're talking about wild in terms of disarray, then yeah. This film, I mean, it looks really, really fucking cheap and nasty for a start. I don't have anything against like Gonzo filmmaking. I don't have anything inherently against low budget productions at all. But this film just looks tacky. I mean, this was definitely, you know, a shoestring fiasco, it seems. And it's just, there's like absolutely zero character development. You don't really, I know it's supposed to be like a mad, you know, a completely barking mad cage vehicle. You're not necessarily supposed to invest a lot of seriousness into it. But there's no, you don't really, you don't give two shits about any of these people. You know, I mean, something, uh, you know, Kind of uh, movies that are comparable. You could uh, select two of Carpenter's finest, Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China. At least, at least gave a fuck about the characters and that. I wanted to see how the, you know the denouement of the of the journey. I wanted to see how it all plays out. In this, even Nick Cage as hero. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, you he's a bank robber, and at one point in time he was captured by the governor, and then he's assigned on this mission, and he's a little bit of a wild, crazy. Uh, erstwhile criminal, but he's got something of a conscience as is revealed in flashback scenes and subsequently in the temporary timeline along the road. But this it's just the, the script that Cage is working with. It just doesn't, it doesn't allow us to feel jack shit about his character. It's not that he's like sleepwalking his, his way through it and phoning in. He's not. He's not, but the character is just really, really ropely written. All the characters are ropely written. There's lots of interdental stuff happening. Pe- people just acting really fucking weird, but in a way that is not humorous and doesn't actually really organically feel like it's part of that interior world. You know I like weird shit. I like weird shit all the time. You love weird Nick Cage I'm, films. I yeah, was I fully do. expecting you to rant yeah. and rave about how and I'm, and I'm a And I'm a big, you know, you know me, I'm also a really big fan of... Uh, David Lynch for a start, and also some of the stuff done by his daughter. I love weird shittery. I love, you know, going like, what the fuck, you know, what the fucking hell did that person do that for? That's really, really eccentric and bizarre, but I feel magnetized to it. There's something in this, this does not feel, it doesn't feel right in this film's DNA. There's something about the way it's shot, just the way that the script perambulates. It just, it's just an absolute hot mess. And I really couldn't wait for it to end. I'm, I'm so gutted to have to say that about this because, yeah, I do love Nick Cage and I love the setup of this film, but it is just, it's fucking boring, man. It's just oh, abs- man. absolute discombobulated, boring nonsense. And, yeah, there are there one or two moments where Cage does make me laugh? Yeah, there are, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's not like a you know, 100 out of 100. He, he literally has not one one good bit on screen, one good moment on screen that doesn't elicit some kind of chortle, something like that. It's, it's Nick Cage, Nick Cage, and he is doing his best. And yeah, there are a couple of ex- moments of eccentricity in there that were kind of funny, but all in all, no, it doesn't even remotely begin to be anything to make this something worth watching. It was it was really shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, I was hoping this would be the year of Cage as well because you loved Pig so much. Loved Pig, absolutely, yeah. Pig was absolutely great. This had all the all the 
B-movie kind yeah. of cage guy mental aesthetic. You know, like Mandy, you know. Mate, like, honestly, Will, Willie's Wonderland is fucking a million times better than this. Oh, wow. And you had some problems with that as well, didn't yeah. you? Oh, yeah. but Will, Willie's Wonderland is infinitely better than Prisoners of Ghostland by a like, country fucking mile. Seriously, this... Oh, uh, yeah, I really struggled to get through this. It was really lame. It was all over the place. It seemed to just uh, have completely wild, wacky, live-action, anime ridiculousness happening purely for the sake of it. It didn't add It didn't add any gravitas. It didn't make it more atmospherically interesting. It didn't actually make it funnier or anything like that. It's just somebody just like, poured loads and loads of money, uh, just threw loads of money at, at a load of shit. And just said, yeah, let's just like you go over there and act crazy and we'll just have this crazy thing happening. We're not gonna explain why it's happening this way. We're not gonna make it feel we're not gonna we're not just gonna make it have a beating pulse. It's just a load of fucking weird shit that <clears throat> characters nobody really gives a toss about. And Nick Cage just seeming to try and have a good time. I mean, I've I noticed if he likes the script, then he likes the script. Obviously, that's his prerogative, but is, nah, this was just, nah, man. Prison of the Ghostland is a big fat thumbs down. This was, uh, I didn't, I did not like this one bit. Sorry. You know, when you sent me your list across this morning, we always have a discussion, Liam and I, right, um, on Thursday mornings before we record about what Liam's going to review this week, what I'm going to review, what we're going to do for the premium. We've normally got an idea beforehand where we sort of tack everything down and put together the podcast over the course of the day. When you said you were reviewing Malignant and Prisoners of the Ghostland, I automatically assumed, based on what I'd, based on just a feeling I had, that you were going to hate Malignant and you were going to love um, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Completely the other way around. Completely white, yeah. There you go. Yeah, no, no. Mal- Malignant is actually very fun. I mean, it's, it's stupid bullshit, but it's very fun. Mm. Whereas, yeah, pr- pr- Prisoners of the Ghost, if I had to wrap it up, if I had to summarize it in one word, it would be boring. It was just fucking worst bad. thing it could yeah. possibly be. Every every the, the, the way that everything came did you know the way that everything came together or you know the lack of that thereof, it was just rubbish. Yeah, so I hate saying that because I love Cage, love Pig, love Mandy, love Wild at Heart. I love Cage and I love the eccentric shit he's involved in. I really do. I am a massive fan of that. This nah it doesn't even touch that one iota. Ah, and that and that's gutting. That is gutting. So, oh well. Okay then. Well, on that note, then I'd better start some TV of the week. TV of the week. And this week, uh, this is a series that has been causing a lot of hype on Netflix. I constantly see it infiltrating the top ten. In fact, I think for the past two weeks since it's been out, um, it's been sort of the third or fourth position in the UK. So a lot of people watching this, and it is called Clickbait. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. Adrian Grenier. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I have been watching it because it's in the top 10. I thought I'd do a review of it, and I shall review it thus. Wonderful. This opens with a family party in the US. And at this party is Pia Brewer, played by Zoe Kazan. She's a bit of a sort of a punk rock party chick kind of girl. And her brother, Nick Brewer, played by Adrian Grenier, as you said. And it's a party for their mother. And her mother, they're all sitting out in the back garden having a lovely time. Her mother's opening her presents. And she goes to open her present from the family. So Nick's there with his wife and his kids. Uh, Pierre is there by herself because she's a bit of a lone wolf. And as the mother goes to open the present, she pulls back the wrapping. And as she's about to see what it is, Pierre interjects and says, just so you know, Um, We decided as a group to get this present and I wasn't part of the decision-making process, okay? So her mother opens the present and it's a planter for her plants in the garden. And she's overjoyed with it. She goes, oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. And Nick's smiling and his wife's smiling and the kids are all happy that their grandmother, Nick's mother and Pia's mother is really, really happy with her present. Pia becomes increasingly pissed off because she thought she'd chipped in with the rest of the family to get her mother a bread maker. And as such, she thinks that would be a much better present. And despite the fact that her mother is delighted with her planter, this was a bad idea. She's only being nice. And a big family argument erupts. Uh, They start arguing back and forth. Pia starts getting increasingly agitated. Nick loses his temper and kicks Pia out of the party. So we then get a sequence where Pia uh, goes a bit off the rail. She's walking down the street screaming. 
Um, she's obviously sort of losing her mind a little bit at the dysfunction of her family and the big argument she's just been in. And so as a result, she goes partying. She goes out to a nightclub. Um, she has a lot of drinks. She takes a few pills. And at one point, she goes into the toilets and opens up a dating app. And on the dating app, she matches with a very good-looking guy, Roshan Amiri, who looks like a bit of up her street. So she starts messaging him. And as they're agreeing to meet up, she turns around and accidentally drops her phone in the toilet bowl. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. So she rescues her phone from the toilet bowl, but it is, of course, dead. So she parties her way back home. She takes some more pills. Um, There's a scene where she masturbates and beds some pornography. She thought it was a little bit unnecessary and gratuitous, but there you go. Nice. It's what you do when you get home for a night out, isn't Indeed, it? Indeed, yeah. Yep, she's back at the flat now. Um, she's watching videos on YouTube. She's having a good time. She's about to pass out, and she puts her phone in a tub of rice. You know the old trick when you've got your phone wet, you're sticking it Does that tub. actually work? Occasionally, yeah. The rice absorbs the moisture. <clears throat> I've never had to try it. No, it can, yeah. It absorbs the moisture out of the phone because the rice inflates with it instead. Okay. And, but anyway, her phone is now defunct, and she puts it away. She goes to bed for the evening. We see her get up the next day and she goes to her job, very, very hungover indeed. And she is a nurse in a cancer ward. Oh, that's good. It's good form. Yeah. Really, really yeah. hungover when you're a nurse. Exactly. exactly yeah. what you want if you're a chemotherapy patient, you know, if you're a nurse to be a party chick who's completely hungover. But anyway, <laughs> she turns up. She's downing aspirin like they're going out of fashion. She goes to talk to one of her patients, a young guy who's uh, receiving chemotherapy. And as she's uh, trying to get the syringe in his arm, He's distracting her and distracting himself at the same time, really, with his laptop because he's a bit of a geek. And um, he's showing her funny YouTube videos. And this obviously is like a regular thing they do. Every time he comes in for his treatment, they watch funny YouTube videos together while it's happening. Epic sort of, fails and that sort yeah, of yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind yeah. of stuff. You know, cats playing pianos and dogs falling off bridges and all that kind of, you know, very, very Crap. Funny, very, very funny yeah. shit. Anyway, as they're watching, a notification from a vlogger turns up on screen. And Pierre isn't really paying attention to it, but this kid is watching it intently. And this vlogger is talking about a new video that is going viral. And Pierre looks over at the video, and it is her brother, Nick. And he's set on a black background, and he's looking very beaten up. He's got a cut on his eyebrow, and he's looking very sorry for himself indeed. And he's holding up a sign to the camera. And the sign says, I abuse women. And he puts the card down and he picks up another card. And the next card says, at 5 million views, I die. And then the video cuts. Pia, understandably, starts losing her shit. Despite the fact she had this big argument with her brother the night previous, obviously it's still her brother. And he's now been cast across the internet. And as she looks around, she notices people in the cancer ward, everybody's getting this video as a notification. The views, there's a view counter in the top right corner of the screen. The views are going up exponentially. So Pia freaks out, she leaves work, and she goes to Nick's work to try and find whether he's coming that morning, whether it's just a prank, a hoax, that kind of thing, whether he's doing it for a bit of a laugh. She turns up at this sports facility where he works, and nobody's seen him all day. So he next turns up at Nick's wife's school where she works, and pulls her out of her lesson where she's teaching these kids, I believe it's science, pulls her out and says, look, you need to see this video. What the hell is going on? Have you spoken to Nick? And she goes, no, I haven't spoken to him all day. So they go to the police and they turn up at the police station and they ask to speak to a detective or somebody in charge. And they are introduced to Roshan Amiri, the guy that she was messaging with on the dating app the night previous. He's understandably a bit shocked to see Pia there because he was having a conversation with her. They're about to hook up and then her phone mysteriously went dead. But he keeps it quiet and he keeps on the down low and says, okay, you know, tell me your story. And they show him this video. And say, look, you know, this seems to be real. We haven't seen him all day. Um, we don't know what's going on. As far as we're concerned, he's a really upstanding guy. Of course, he wouldn't abuse women. We don't know how he's got himself in this sort of mess. Could you start taking this thing seriously? So the police department begins to investigate. Pia, meanwhile, goes around asking her mother and anybody else in the town and Nick's kids and everybody else, when was the last time you saw him? Has he got mixed up in any trouble recently? When she's called back into the detective office because another video has been posted. This new video is Nick holding up a sign that says, I killed a woman. And meanwhile, the views in the top right corner are getting very, very close to the 5 million view mark. So Nick is in a lot of trouble indeed. And it is Pia's job, along with the detectives that she has now befriended, 
to bring a resolution to this tale and hopefully bring Nick out of harm's way. Okay with the plot set up on that one? Yeah, yeah, sounds pretty straightforward. Does it sound intriguing? It does sound kind of interesting. Well, it's not. <laughs> um, yeah, <sighs> where to fucking start with this one? Uh, let's go here, shall we? I am fairly convinced that this show was written by an AI. <laughs> because what it has, and bear in mind that the show is entitled Clickbait as well. And for those not in the know, a clickbait is a term for an article online where the title is initially very interesting that makes you want to click on it. You click through to it and thereby see a load of adverts and make the site some money. And it actually turns out to be an article about nothing. I mean, that is essentially the definition of clickbait. That is essentially this show. Is that it's got a very interesting premise with the guy that's been kidnapped and holds up the cars and everything. His sister has to track down. Meanwhile, there's this whole thing about the plot expands outwards. The first episode is called The Sister. The second episode is called The Brother. So it's going through all these characters doing everything from their perspective kind of thing. It's got all these interesting things going for it. The dialogue is unbelievably rote. Like I said, I genuinely believe, I'm convinced actually, that at some point in the future, the creators of this show are going to come out and say, ha ha, fooled you. You see, we wrote a premise and then we gave it to an AI and the AI wrote the script and you didn't notice. Well, tell you what, I fucking did. <laughs> because it is just absolutely plastic. The characterization is just paper thin as well. I mean, Pia as a character, and this is no fault of the actress, by the way. I'm not even go at the actress. In fact, there's a fair few decent performances in this. It's just the material they have to work with. The characterization is absolutely paper thin. Pia is one of the most irritating characters I've ever seen in any TV production of anything. You're supposed to kind of like her and get on board with her, despite the fact she's just a really mean, nasty person that spends her entire time going around screaming at people because she doesn't think they're doing enough to look for her brother. And later on, there's more revealed in the plot where she screams for different reasons. But she's essentially just a really, really horrible person you're supposed to root for because her brother's in trouble, which doesn't work in the slightest. Um, there is one shining light in this, actually, and this is um, Phoenix Rye, who plays Roshan Amiri, the detective in question. His plotline actually isn't that bad, and his characterization and his performance of it is actually fairly good. He might be one to watch out for in the future. But otherwise, everybody is so two-dimensional, it's ridiculous. More than that, the way it's shot is unbelievably boring. Every single camera angle, I mean, you haven't seen this at all. If I like gave you a script to an episode and said, where should the camera go for this? You could do it in your sleep backwards whilst masturbating. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is so conventionally shot that it just bored the hell out of me with one interesting caveat, which is this show is obviously very reliant on the idea that everything's very internet-based. This is about viral videos and social media apps and all this sort of thing. And it constantly decides, you know when a show does that thing where it, um, it pops up a text bubble when someone receives a text on their phone, you actually get a, a CGI graphic on screen showing it which I don't normally mind because I kind of get it. Like, how else are you supposed to convey a character reading a message or an email rather than having the screen pop up? I kind of get it, right? It does it constantly, absolutely constantly. I would say three quarters of the shots of this series feature a text bubble or a computer screen blown up like minority reports. They appear from absolutely nowhere. Oh, these gosh. Blade Runner holograms are popping all over the place, which I found unbelievably distracting. And what's worse is the series seems to mistake that for having a visual style about it rather than doing something interesting with the camera or... You know, I just I was watching this just looking for something to grab onto, like, please, please, just give me something that is not really, really tepid. You know what this show is, actually? I haven't done a food analogy in a while. Um, you know dal, the Indian dish, dal? Yes. For those that don't know, it's a lentil soupy curry concoction um, that you can find in a lot of Indian restaurants. I know we've got a lot of US listeners and Indian food isn't as big out there, but it's quite a soupy concoction. And you know porridge, yeah, which Americans would call oatmeal, right? The difference between something like The Innocent, for example, that I reviewed recently, or El Innocente, depending on which version of Netflix you have. The difference between El Innocente and all the Netflix shows like it and clickbait is like the difference between dal and porridge. If you had no taste buds, they would appear to be almost the same thing. <laughs> but one is dynamic, delicious, interesting, Moorish, you can't get enough of it. And the other is a bowl of porridge. <laughs> this show is a bowl of porridge. It is has it, nothing going for it. It is five out of ten. Is this like it a, is bland. It is wallpaper paste. Is it a limited series? 
I really hope there isn't a fucking another one. And there is a big twist at the end. So is, is which the... is so ridiculous, by the way, that I couldn't even find it laughable. It was so stretching at that point. I'm like, you you guys didn't write this from the beginning, so is, did you? Obviously, like, you know, with nothing given it, so is the uh, the resolution to um, what's happening to her brother, is it absolute bullshit? It... Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it, it's, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It does make sense. It's just it's stretching so far at that point. So it's one of those endings where you get the sense that they actually didn't know where the ending was until three quarters of the way through. You know, and going, oh, how, how many episodes do you think we can get out of this? Or rather, in this case, the AI has churned out 24 episodes. Well, we need to cut it down to eight. So I guess we'll stick an ending here, shall we? But <laughs> I mean, at the very least, that would make it so bad. It was interesting. This is just so bland. It is tepid. It is lukewarm. It is a wet fart of a show. It's, I mean, comparing this to something like The Innocent is just, it, it, and I, I keep going back to it because that's a show about uh, uh, someone that's had a missing person in their life and they have to track that missing person down and find out the backstory and there's actually a mysterious shadowy past going on underneath. That's why I keep wanting to reference it. The differences between the two are just night and day. There are so, so many Netflix productions like this that, Picking clickbait out of all the good ones would just be, I hope you did it by throwing a dart at a dartboard because if you picked it deliberately, having seen all those others, boy, are you in for a bad time. It just pales in comparison to all that other work. And the worst part about it as well, which I haven't even got to yet, but the absolute worst part is that the obvious theme that they're going for in this is that the internet can be a bad thing and that social media is creating people that are essentially callous and inhuman in their attitude towards other human beings. And isn't that a bad thing? Maybe we should step back from the internet because the internet can be a a dark, dangerous, nefarious, and bad place. It's like, yeah, and so that theme has been done by just about every other modern Netflix series, or at least a good three quarters of them, for the past 10 years. So if you're going to do that, at least do something interesting. At least do something dynamic. At least do something with a bit of a, you know, it's got twists, but it's like even the twists aren't exciting. It is pap. It's not even so bad. It's good. It's not even one of those ones where it's like, man, you need to check this out because it's awful and you'll have a great time having a laugh at it. I just watched it trying to, I very nearly fell asleep at a few points. And there was a point where I did start to doze off and I went, oh shit. And I paused it and I went back to the point where I started to doze off and I started watching from there. No, no, I could have gone to sleep for the rest of the episode. <laughs> and there was a twist in it, but it doesn't really change much anyway. So, I mean, what I essentially want to say about this show is fuck it, essentially. <laughs> don't waste your time. Watch The Innocent instead. Or, I don't know, stare out the window. You'll have a better time. <laughs> Damn, that is one to avoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, you know what annoys me more than anything else is mediocrity. And it is just nothing but mediocrity, with the exception of um, Phoenix Rye's performance. I think he's actually might have something. Phoenix Roy. I believe it's right. R-A-E-I. But yes, he's, uh, he's rather good in it. But that's the only thing to cling on to. And to be honest, he's not in it enough. But there you go. Yeah, avoid. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Anyway, after that rant, I feel better. Um, <laughs> I figured, well, we've done this trivia actually on the premium podcast, but I found different trivia for people that listen to the free and the premium. And we've never done this subject on the free. So um, it's Nick Cage trivia. Nick Cage trivia? Nick Cage trivia. Oh, well, I'm always up for Nick Cage trivia. One of the nice things about Nick Cage in terms of what we do is that he's such an interesting person. There is never-ending trivia <laughs> about Nick Cage. So I'm fairly certain. I think the um, first one, well, the first one we've definitely done before, but each time I find something about it, it becomes more interesting. So I've got a little bit of that. Otherwise, I don't think I've repeated myself. I think this is new Nick Cage trivia, at least in terms of what we've read out on the podcast. Uh, well, hopefully it's just uh, very, very fucking out there. Because you wouldn't oh, expect anything less. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me kick off with this one. It's hard to blow through $150 million, but not if you have the skill of Nicolas Cage. Between 1996 and 2011, Cage made over $150 million then subsequently spent it all and more, leaving himself in dire financial straits. How do you spend that money, you might ask? By purchasing a $300,000 dinosaur skull, rare albino king cobras, an octopus, multiple castles, and two entire islands. (laughs) Every time we do that bit, I think that might be the third time we've done that bit of trivia. Every time I read it, like the new version gets worse. (laughs) What do you mean two islands? (laughs) Even Johnny Depp only had fucking one. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. What is, oh, man. You know, like, I've said it before about like how he took his manager to court. Yeah. For yeah. Le- leading him down the road to financial ruin, even though his manager said, like, no, no, I advise him against all of this. Yeah. <laughs> Some people stick to a vegetarian diet for moral reasons. Others go vegan. 
Many people eat meat, but are strict about what kinds of meat they consume, whether it's due to a desire to keep kosher, a preference for grass-fed organic beef, or what have you. Nicholas Cage also practices a rather specific sort of carnivorous diet, as described by The Telegraph. In an interview, Cage explains he chose the animals he eats based on how dignified their mating rituals are. For example, he's comfortable if you put birds or fish on his dinner table, but pigs, not so much. What? Yeah, apparently <laughs> Nick, Nick Cage thinks about how the animal looks when it fucks and then decides whether he's going to eat it or not. <laughs> I, he must be kidding. That must be trolling the interviewer, surely. Yeah, surely. I think just with anyone else, it would Does be any animal look good when it... Does any body <clears throat> look good when they fuck? <laughs> any body? Yeah, I mean... It's... Uh, well, I mean, there's, there is a certain thing that has been a big market for many, many years now, so a lot of people seem to think so. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but, you know. Wow, wow. <laughs> Everyone deserves the right to make their own decisions about how their remains are handled after their death, but Nicolas Cage isn't interested in having his ashes scattered anywhere. According to Atlas Obscura, Cage plans to follow the lead of those ancient Egyptian pharaohs and have his remains forever housed in a pyramid. Yes, a pyramid on American soil. Before you go thinking this is just a silly joke he made, you should know the pyramid has already been built. (laughs) Cage's rather unusual tomb now stands in a New Orleans graveyard that also contains the tomb of Marie Laveau. Cage's pyramid is nine feet tall, carved out of solid stone, and has the Latin phrase omnia ab uno, everything from one, scrawled on the front. Obviously, Cage isn't occupying the tomb yet, but its unusual shape has already made it a tourist attraction. Some have theorized Cage's pyramid obsession is a sign of him belonging to the Illuminati, but he probably just likes Egyptian architecture. (laughs) I mean, if you can afford it, why not have a pyramid, right? I mean, it's only nine feet tall. I mean, it's not like he's building the Great Pyramid. I think that's kind of cool. If there is an Illuminati, what what would Nick Cage's utility be for them? Yeah, no. I mean, okay, I can understand sort of, you know, world leaders and... Banking magnates and you know uh, people in you know high very high in eff- uh, echelons of authority, you know bodies of authority. Yeah, but Nick Cage. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of with you. you know, surely they would have bailed him out by now, <clears throat> seeing as he's fucking broke. Yeah, but, you know, the, uh, you know, we our interests are served by this fucking crazy man going out there and making all these batshit insane films. Like, no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't jive, man. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it would be hilarious anyway. It would, yes, and. Uh, I, yeah, well, I've, I'm going to do one more here. I was going to do two, but actually the other one isn't nearly as interesting as this one. So let's finish out with this, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to start off with the article's title. Nick Cage has done drugs with his cat. <laughs> From cobras to cats, Nicolas Cage finds inspiration in animals. Allegedly, it was a feline friend who helped him get high on one occasion. Cage explained that when a friend gave him a bag of mushrooms, his cat would go in my refrigerator and grab it almost like he knew what it was. He loved it. Cage thought his cat might be onto something and did the mushrooms himself, which brought on a peaceful and beautiful experience. And then he got rid of the psychedelics. His cobras, on the other hand, were rehomed to a zoo. They, according to Cage, tried to hypnotize me by showing me their backs and they'd lunge at me. His neighbors, also unhappy, were part of the impetus to find a new home for the snakes. See, everything you say like this about Cage, if it were anyone else... You wouldn't believe it, would you? No. Well, or I'd probably spend a significantly longer amount of time sitting here going, like, what, 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 what? Because it's Nick Cage, it's just laughter and... He just instantly goes in, doesn't he? Yeah, Yeah. he would, would, wouldn't he? He just would. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like exactly the sort... If you went round to Nick Cage's house and he was on mushrooms with his cat, you you wouldn't blink an eye, would you? Nah. And you might if it was, I don't know, Martin Sheen or something. But Nick Cage, yeah. So oh, it's just, it's just Nicholas. It's, it's another Nicholas Tuesday for good old Nick. Oh, yeah. man, because I, 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 I know I was so disappointed by Prisoners of, the Go- Prisoners of the Ghost Land, but I'm really, really, really hoping the unbearable weight of massive talent isn't going to be um, a waste of time because that has just got epic written all over it synopsis wise because I presume it's because of his financial situation but Nick Cage does have a habit of just picking up any script that's given to him so you're always going to get some up and down stuff and he's already had something good this year with Pick so yeah extremely good yeah we might have had the the peak Nick Cage this year but hopefully not because yeah we've said it before on premium podcasts and things we did a Nick Cage special not too long ago but he's just one of our favourite actors because he's so dynamic like you never know what's going to come next with Nick Cage you never know what he's going to do next you can't keep your eyes off him in the frame no. because he's always going to do thing, you know, something interesting. Pig, Pig was incredible. Mandy was incredible. 
Um, he does. He just he hits these uh, just uh, filmography milestones where he comes out with something amazing. Mm. And I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't like to use that word lightly, but I do think that they're in those two films, especially, and others, you know, amazing. And um, I wasn't expecting Prisoners necessarily to be amazing, but I was, I was hoping it would be better than fucking Willy's Wonderland, you know, like a cut above at least. But oh well, I can't you know, win them all. There you go. Maybe you know, sometimes just expect too much. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then. Well, that brings us to the end of our free podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to go and record the premium episode now. Um, are you kicking off with some extra takes first? Uh, I thought we were just going to go right into our... Uh... Oh, we could do that? Yeah. It's uh, that that guy, those dudes, this man. Yeah, over here. as we, we promised last week, this is something we concocted while we were on air, actually. <laughs> is, uh, we suddenly realized it'd be a great idea to do a podcast about um, that guy. When you're watching a film or a TV piece, and it's that guy that's been in the other stuff. What's his name? And nobody, it never goes in. I mean, the traditional name for them is character actors, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but essentially people who you're never quite sure who they are. They're not big on like Hollywood red carpets or anything like that. They keep cropping up and stuff. And you go, oh, it's that dude. I really like that dude. And then you never remember who they are. We're going to discuss our favorite ones of so those. We're here to help you uh, locate some and then remember them. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, these are dudes that are worth, uh, you know, their names being known and their stuff being watched. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So we're going to pick out a few of our favorites. Okie dokie then. Right. Well, hope to see you on the premium podcast. Um, please do check out cinementalist.com for a link to our Patreon page where you can find all our premium content. Follow us on Twitter at Cinementalcast. So you can follow Liam at. I'm Liam at the movies and I'm at Wacko Jacko's Flicks. And uh, yeah, anything to add, mate? Thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, just obviously. <laughs> Check out the shit we recommend and then the other stuff, just fucking bin it. But, you know, obviously it's your prerogative to do whatever you like. And, no, uh, you yeah. know what? Watch Clickbait and come back to me and tell me what a bad idea it was. <laughs> I'll be waiting. Yeah, all that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, time is precious though, isn't it? It's only finite. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing listening to us? <laughs> <laughs> now, take it easy, people. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Yeah, see you on the premium or see you next week, guys. 